0: excited to bring you this video series, and we believe you will agree with us that the findings from our studies are overwhelming, and at the very least calls for attention from all prophecy students. As we all continue to grow in our understanding of the Scriptures, it is our prayer that we always keep an open heart to the Spirit as He tweaks our understanding along the way. This video series will cover multiple topics in Bible prophecy. There is no shortage of theories as it relates to end times prophecy and many are in contradiction with one another. We hope that we can offer some clarity and new perspective on such things as well as offer new insight to bring to the table. At the very least we expect to prompt some new and interesting discussion and thinking on these matters. (laughs) Obviously we do not claim to have everything figured out. And we are definitely open to adjusting and tweaking from other perspectives. We simply want to maintain an environment of testing everything, even the topic of end times. So, get a notebook, grab a pen, and by all means, open your Bible as we study the Word. There are many views and opinions regarding the seals, trumpets, and bowls of Revelation. And of course, like everyone else, we have our own. We in no way proclaim that ours as being right and everyone else's as being wrong. We believe we can all learn from each other and grow in our understanding as we consider the views of others we would like to share our current understanding regarding some of these scriptures in hopes to bring some discussion that can help us all grow in our learning. Since we already covered the first five trumpets in our teaching appropriately titled, the first five trumpets, we actually want to go back and go over the seals. Now, please know and understand that there are many things in these passages that we do not fully comprehend and we will not pretend that we do. There is just so much symbolism that we can only speculate at best on some things. Because of this, we simply want to stick to the seals and their possible meanings at this time. So, let's start with Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. These are verses often overlooked and just passed over rather quickly. However, there is a critical timepiece given here. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, could open the scroll, or even look inside it. No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. That's pretty much everywhere, isn't it? Actually, no. This is the critical timepiece that we believe is so often overlooked. Many believe that John is seeing heaven at the time he was in the Spirit. However, we believe that John was taken back in time. I know that may sound strange at first, but stay with me. We know that after the ascension in Acts chapter 1, that Yeshua has been in heaven ever since. Compare, Acts chapter 3, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Yeshua. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Acts chapter 7, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. Romans chapter 8, Who is he that condemns? Messiah Yeshua, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Also, Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Knowing that he has been in heaven ever since, why is he not in heaven here when John was in the Spirit as given in Revelation? Again, chapter 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one in heaven, on earth or under the earth. Is that everywhere? Again, actually no. Notice it doesn't say below heaven or above earth. Where was Yeshua? He was in the process of coming to heaven. What John is being shown here is the time just after Acts 1. Acts chapter 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. John was seeing the past at this very moment. He wasn't seeing the present or the future. No, he was seeing the past. No one was in heaven at that moment who could open the scroll. No one was on earth or below the earth who was capable of opening the scroll. The one who was capable of opening the scroll was actually between heaven and earth at that very moment. After that, notice verse 5 and 6. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. The lamb enters the scene. Yeshua, having his scars from being slain on the cross, is now seen In heaven. Let's continue. Verse 7. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand, they encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb, who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. All heaven and creation declares what He has just completed through His death and resurrection. Again, the text seems to show that Yeshua has truly just come on the scene and is now getting ready to break the seals. In fact, the song they sing is declared new in verse 9. This is something we must consider. If this is taking place years after his death and resurrection, how can it really be new? Doesn't it make more sense that it's new because it truly just happened? And with all of this text making it seem like he had just accomplished all this, we can't help but wonder if it actually happened at his ascension at first fruits, It definitely makes sense. So, we see that the seals are about to actually be broken just after Yeshua has entered into heaven. This truly changes the perspective of how these seals should be viewed. Continuing on, chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. Some have said that this is Yeshua. Others have suggested that this is the Antichrist beginning his rule. However, we believe this is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is now in the world. 1 John 4. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Yeshua is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Does this mean that types of Antichrist didn't exist before this time? (laughs) Of course not. However, we believe that the spirit of Antichrist actually increased at the breaking of this seal. Continuing on, Revelation chapter six, verse three. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. There is little debate that this represents war or even chaos. The greater debate, I guess, Would be that of the timing to this being released but again we hold that this has already been released and that wars have only increased as a result of this seal being broken revelation 6 verse 5 when the lamb opened the third seal i heard the third living creature say come i looked and there before me was a black horse its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Again, there is little debate as to the meaning of this seal. Famine and poor economic conditions. Some would argue that this couldn't have started at the time when Yeshua had entered into heaven. But again, We aren't saying that it started at this time, but rather that it began to increase over time with the breaking of this seal. Continuing on, verse 7. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. As the first three seals is concerning something taking place in the spiritual realm, we see the same here. In fact, most interpret this seal as something only happening in the spiritual realm anyway. We notice that the effects of the second and third seals, the sword and famine, are mentioned here, but have plague and wild beasts included, which could be implying that these indeed grow worse over time. Trust me when I say that we understand that many would say that these types of things have always been. So how can these seals be of any significance at this time when Yeshua is just taken up? After all, there had been several antichrist figures up to that point in time already. Wars, famines, and plagues were nothing new, to which we agree. Yet, though these types of events were already in existence, we believe they actually began to increase from this moment on. Again, something that is very plausible and that we at 119 currently lean to. However, it must be noted that if someone wants to hold that these seals are opened later in time or even have yet to be opened, they have to agree that these types of events have already been in existence up to this point in time as well. So, whether they were opened at the time of Yeshua's ascension or at the time of the end, either way, we must admit that these events are nothing new. They will only increase in frequency and severity. However, it's only in the next two seals that we clearly see the future being spoken of. Moving on, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been, was completed. Here we see what appears to be a present tense event at the time that Yeshua actually opens the seal. We see an ever so brief conversation that takes place with those involved and they are told to wait for a future time. They were told to wait until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who are to be killed as they had been was completed. This definitely lends credence to the fact that the previous seals were most possibly opened in the same time and not throughout history, and that the spiritual events that took place in those previous seals were in the same time frame as the fifth seal as well. Again, they were told to wait until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Just like the other seals speak of events that have already been in existence. The fifth seal speaks of those who have been killed because of the Word of God. There is no doubt that many had already been killed for the Word of God up to that point in time. However, I believe it is safe to say that since that time of Yeshua, martyrdom for the faith began a rapid increase throughout the ages. Again, showing the plausibility that the same principle could apply to that of the first four seals. Though... The fifth seal does indeed speak of a future event. It is in this seal that it seems to put them all together as all being opened and having the events take place in the same time frame. And now the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth, as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Here we see what many refer to as the day of the Lord. But we differ with that interpretation, and this is why. Look at verse 12 again. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth, made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. Notice that it says the sun is turned black and the moon is turned to blood. According to Joel, this happens before the day of the Lord and not on it. Compare Joel chapter 2 The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. So, from Joel alone, we see this doesn't line up as being the return of Yeshua. Yeshua himself says what will happen at his return. Matthew 24. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. At His return, we see the sun is only darkened, and the moon will not give its light at all. So, clearly, this seal is not discussing the Lord's return. Another perspective on this is in verses 15 through 17. Revelation chapter six, fifteen. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Here we see the kings of the earth, the princes, and generals hiding underground. Does this sound like the battle of Armageddon? Hardly. At Yeshua's return, there is a much different picture with what happens with the kings and armies. Consider Revelation chapter 16. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of god almighty behold i come like a thief blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed then they gathered the kings together to the place that in the hebrew is called armageddon plus Revelation chapter 19. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. So, it's clear that the sixth seal is not the return of Yeshua. And please know that we agree that it can indeed look like it is, especially in light of verse 17, which says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? But please know that this is the word for day here. It simply carries the meaning of a time period, not necessarily a single day. Thus, it could be rendered, for the great time of their wrath has come, and who can stand? We believe it is very plausible that this is declaring that the beginning of the end has started. Thus, this event will begin that which takes us to the return of Yeshua. Obviously, this event is no small thing, as the kings, generals, and so many more hide themselves under the ground for protection. The event is so large that it even says mountains are removed. Compare, Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This definitely inclines one to think of a massive earthquake, even one that is global, as the text clearly says, every mountain and island. Knowing that this is not the return of Yeshua, is it possible that this is an event that actually starts the closing act, if you will? Before we go any farther on this, let's pause and do a quick review. Thus far, we see that the timing of the breaking of the seals takes place just as Yeshua arrives in heaven from leaving earth in Acts chapter 1. We see how it's plausible that the first five seals were all opened and the events of those seals actually began and started increasing on the earth from that very moment. And here we see the revealing of something that clearly takes place in the future, yet it's before the return. Again, it is possible that this could actually be the event that truly begins the end times. We believe this is very plausible. Consider the words of Yeshua in Matthew 24. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Our teaching titled The Last Days covers this verse. Please refer to this teaching for more detail. Verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Here we see that wars are not to be a surprise, as these things will indeed happen and even increase, as we saw from the third seal. But then we come to what Yeshua calls the beginning of the birth pains. Watch for a similarity to Revelation 6, verse 14. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Let's focus on the last sentence of verse 7 first. It mentions famines and earthquakes in various places. The Greek for various places is kata topos, which can actually be translated as according to passages. Kata, pending the context, carries the meaning of in against, down, or according to. It's used over 300 times in the New Testament. It's actually used again by Yeshua just one chapter later. Consider, to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according, kata, to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Here's another, Mark chapter 7. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Yeshua, Why don't your disciples live according, kata, to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Yet another, Luke chapter 1. He was chosen by lot, according, kata, to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. We could not find any passage that uses kata, As various. To post, pending the context carries the meaning of place, position, opportunity, or passage. It's used only five times in the New Testament. Three of those five are of this account found in Matthew 24, which is also in Mark 13 and Luke 21. The other two are found in Acts 27, regarding a journey of Paul, which clearly has the context of referring to a place, or a position. But it's the context of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that is in question. It's clear that Katah does not mean various, but rather in or according to. Does it not make more sense that Yeshua would be referring to scriptures from the prophets here? Thus, this part of the sentence that Yeshua said can actually be rendered, there will be famines and earthquakes according to the passages please look at the Greek for yourself. But to our point here, Yeshua said that earthquakes would be considered part of the beginning of the birth pains for the end times. And this would parallel that of Revelation chapter 6. But Revelation 6.14 is clearly discussing something on a global scale. If Yeshua is indeed referring to passages of the prophets regarding these earthquakes, are there any passages in the prophets they refer to earthquakes on a global scale, something that could tie Revelation 6:14 together with Matthew 24:7 possibly. In fact, a whole chapter in Isaiah. We will only read a part of it here, but we encourage you to read it all for yourself. Again, please read all of this chapter for yourself. Isaiah 24. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder the earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls, never to rise again. In that day, Yahweh will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. Not only do we see the global earthquake, but we see punishment to kings. The very thing we see the kings running from in revelation chapter 6:15 now consider the last verse of this chapter isaiah 24:23 the moon will be abashed the sun ashamed for yahweh almighty will reign on mount zion and in jerusalem and before its elders gloriously at first glance this would seem to make us think that this event is at the return of yeshua but So did Revelation 6. We were unable to find the Hebrew words for abashed and ashamed in the rest of the Hebrew text. They both carry the meaning to be ashamed, but they are indeed two different words. The last part of this verse says, For Yahweh Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. This does indeed seem to imply that this is referring to the return of Yeshua. However, this can easily be a statement that is simply looking forward to that day and not declaring that it has arrived as a result. This is not uncommon to have such a statement made surrounding such passages. What leads us to this conclusion regarding Isaiah 24? Well, we see that the intent of this event is not in the return of Yeshua, but rather something different. It's given to us in the first few verses of this chapter. Isaiah 24.1 See, Yahweh is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. Yahweh has spoken this word. Verse 1 alone shows that the inhabitants of the earth are scattered at this event. At Yeshua's return, He gathers and destroys. There is no scattering. This describes a global earthquake that will devastate all, something that fits perfectly at the beginning of the birth pains to usher in the days of the Antichrist. Verse 5 and 6 also lets us know why this judgment comes. Isaiah 24, 5. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. A global earthquake that starts off the curse in the end times where the people must bear their guilt. Could this be what Yeshua was referring to in Matthew 24? Quite possibly. But Yeshua also mentions other things in Matthew 24:7. Again, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, nation against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The odd thing here is that he just gets done telling us that we'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but that we are not to be alarmed. He said these things must happen, but the end is still to come in verse 6. So, what's the difference with nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom compared to wars? And rumors of wars. First, we must note that nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom are singular against singular in both cases. Nation, the Greek is ethnos, meaning nation, people, or Gentile. Kingdom, the Greek is basilia, meaning actually kingdom. Yeshua distinguishes between nations and kingdoms, he even keeps them singular in the text implying there will be one specific nation against another specific nation and one specific kingdom against another specific kingdom. Could these two nations that will be at war be the nation of Ishmael, possibly being Islam, against the nation of Israel through Isaac? Could these two kingdoms be the kingdom of the enemy against the kingdom of Yahweh? Mind you, this is only speculation, but it does seem to be plausible And it only makes sense that this would be what starts the end times off. And it seems to parallel with the sixth seal of Revelation. Again, the sixth seal seems to be the trigger that starts the end times into motion. After the sixth seal of Revelation, we see chapter 7 takes a break and separates the sixth seal from the seventh seal. We will discuss chapter 7 in a future teaching. But for now, let us continue to the seventh seal, which starts in Revelation chapter 8. As we will see in a moment, the breaking of the seventh seal is actually the revealing of the seven trumpets. We believe the seventh seal is quite possibly the details spelled out of the event that takes place in the sixth seal. <laughs> Let me repeat that. We believe the seventh seal is quite possibly the details spelled out of the event that takes place in the The sixth seal. Sounds strange, I know. But this really isn't that uncommon. Consider at the creation story. We go through the days of creation and see that he creates man on the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But not much is really given about it. It was the sixth day and we take it as is. But, when we come to chapter 2, we find the detailed account. We think nothing of it and continue on, realizing that we have simply gone back for the details of what happened on the sixth day. We believe that the same principle is at work here. The seventh seal is the detailed account of all that takes place in the sixth seal. And, if the sixth seal is truly the beginning of the end time judgments, then the following will truly make sense. The seventh seal is opened in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. There is much silence from prophecy teachers regarding this first verse. It reads, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Something to consider here. When God deals in time, he is usually very specific. In fact, I currently can't think of any other time frame given, especially regarding prophecy, where he says about or close to. In regards to prophecy, it seems to most always be specific and exact. Thus, I can't help but think that the focus here is not to be the words about a half an hour, but rather the silence. Again, Revelation 8.1. When he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, consider Romans chapter 3. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Let me read that one more time. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that Every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Could it be that at this half hour of silence in heaven, that God is slamming his gavel down, saying, Order in the court, giving all one last chance to come clean, to make it right before the judgments begin? Which makes sense, since the trumpets are judgments and take place after this half hour god is the same yesterday today and forever right then consider also deuteronomy chapter 20. when you march up to attack a city make its people an offer of peace if they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle lay siege to that city here we see specific instructions for israel to offer peace before engaging into battle now granted there were several cities that god gave clear instructions to go in and wipe out the city. Animals and all. And there were indeed reasons for those cities to be wiped out like so. This will be covered in a future teaching. But as a whole, peace was to be offered beforehand. In the same light, consider the following. This may seem strange at first, but stay with me. Luke chapter 14. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is unable, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Look again at verse 33. In the same way, any of you. God is the one coming to make war here in Revelation 8. According to Deuteronomy 20, he will offer his peace one last time. If the world does not accept his terms of peace, they face judgment, and judgment will begin. This lines up also with Ezekiel 18. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares sovereign Yahweh. Repent and live. In my opinion, There is far more harmony in the scriptures and far more evidence pointing to this line of reasoning as to the silence bearing the significance here and not so much the half hour it is from here in revelation 8 that we see the seven angels with the seven trumpets come forward just before the angels blow the trumpets verses 3 through 5 explains that another angel comes forward he hurls a censer filled with fire from the altar in heaven down to the earth, resulting in an earthquake taking place. We then see the trumpets follow. So, peace was just offered, and the trumpets begin. Let us not forget that trumpets are used to signify war. Could these trumpets be the declaration of war? With that in mind, consider the following verses in Jeremiah that many parallel with the global earthquake found in Isaiah 24. Jeremiah chapter 4. O oh, my anguish, my anguish, I worth and pain. Oh the agony of my heart, my heart pound within me. I cannot keep silent, for I have heard the sound of the trumpet. I have heard the battle cry. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed, my shelter in a moment. This could imply the timing being that of Sukkot. Again, verse 20. Disaster follows disaster, the whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed, my shelter in a moment. How long must I see the battle standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Why is he hearing the trumpet so much? Could it be that these are the first five trumpets of Revelation that take place one after the other in one day? Continuing on. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty and at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before Yahweh, before His fierce anger. This is what Yahweh says. The whole land will be ruined though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark, because I have spoken and I will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. There is no doubt that this can easily be seen as a parallel to Isaiah 24 and can truly tie Isaiah 24 to the first five trumpets of Revelation. For more information on the trumpets, please see our teaching titled, The First Five Trumpets. You'll find in that teaching that we show how it is very plausible for the first five trumpets to actually take place in one day. But is there a way for us to know what day all this could actually happen on? Not specifically. However, we know that the Father shows and reveals His hand in patterns, and most often in conjunction with His feast days. For example, we all know that deliverance came to Israel in Egypt on the first day of unleavened bread. But is this the only deliverance we see on the first day of unleavened bread? Possibly not. Consider what happened to Lot in Sodom. We know that two angels came to deliver him. Genesis chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. First, in verse 1, we note that it was in the evening. And then, in verse 3, he prepared a meal for them. But it wasn't just a regular meal. It specifically says, the bread was without yeast. When is bread made without yeast for one following Yahweh? (laughs) The Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is very plausible that the phrase, baking bread without yeast, was simply added to let us know what time it actually was. In similar fashion, hearing turkey and dressing, or turkey day, brings a certain day to remind for some people. In traditional American culture, these phrases immediately makes one think of Thanksgiving Day. With verse 1 showing us it was the evening, it could indicate that it was the beginning of the first day of unleavened bread, simply because earlier in that day, we know that Abraham prepared a meal with bread in chapter 18, verses 5 through 8. Further evidence that points to this being plausible is that in that conversation with Abraham, he was told that the same time next year, Sarah will have a son. Genesis chapter 18. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. The Hebrew word for appointed is moed, which is the same word used in referencing the feast days of Yahweh. It is very plausible that this evening was the start of unleavened bread. That next morning, we see the deliverance of Lot and his family from Sodom. Again, showing deliverance on the first day of unleavened bread, referred to by some as Passover. This is also why many believe that the 1,260 days of protection for the woman in Revelation chapter 12 actually begins on this day. Why do I say all this? Because we know that the Father shows and reveals His hand and patterns, and most often in conjunction with His feast days. Many struggle with this. They say that the Father didn't give the feast days until Moses with the written law. However, God's law is forever. It is even declared that Abraham followed all of God's laws and commands, And this was before Moses wrote them down. Consider the words that God spoke to Isaac. Genesis chapter 26. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. God's word truly stands forever, and just because they weren't written down, it doesn't mean that they didn't know about them. They could very easily have been passed down orally, as it seems to be the case. One more element to consider here. As mentioned, we now see that deliverance on Passover happened in Sodom and Egypt. Now, consider the following verse regarding the two witnesses. Revelation chapter 11. Their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. No doubt this is referencing Jerusalem. However, we find it interesting that the two places of major events that is recorded on previous Passovers is given the figurative name for Jerusalem. What is the prophetic significance? Well, consider Matthew 24:15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Knowing that Yeshua told all who will be in Judea to flee from there when they see the abomination that causes desolation, it only makes sense that this is where the Antichrist will rule and Yahweh's people will have to flee from there first, implying all the more that the time of the Antichrist will begin his rule at the time of a future Passover. All that being said, back to our question. Is there a way for us to know what day the sixth seal could happen on? If patterns are something for us to consider, then we need to consider the pattern offered with the ten plagues that fell upon Egypt. It is believed by some that the plagues actually lasted up to six months or even longer. If they did indeed last up to six months or longer, that would put them starting at the time of the fall feast Sukkot, which starts on the fifteenth day of the seventh month. If we go forward six or seven months, From there, we will land on the 15th of the first month, unleavened bread, the time of the Exodus. If this is truly the case, what does this mean? Well, if we believe that Yahweh does indeed utilize his feast days for moving in his people's lives, it could mean that Yahweh spoke to Moses through the burning bush on trumpets when he told him to go back to Egypt. So, He begins his long journey back to Egypt and, ten days later, appears before Pharaoh on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the month. Pharaoh then refuses Moses' request to let Israel celebrate a feast. That feast would have been Sukkot, and Moses requested for allowance of a three-day journey. The journey would have started on the 11th, arriving on the 13th, giving them time to prepare for the feast. Not only did Pharaoh refuse the request, but he makes the work more difficult for the Hebrews. Five days later, the plagues could have started. Could it be that the reason God hardened Pharaoh's heart was to make the plagues last the six to seven months for unleavened bread? Possibly. We acknowledge that there is no proof for this. However, seeing the pattern of how the Father moves on his feast days, it is well within reason to consider it as something Very plausible. But what does this have to do with the end times and the possible day that the sixth seal will happen? Good question. Well, if we believe Isaiah 46.10, that says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Then is it not plausible for this day to happen sometime during a Sukkot? six to seven months before the deliverance takes place? A worldwide earthquake happening when His people are in tents? This actually parallels that which we've covered in Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 20. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed. My shelter in a moment. Again, This could imply the timing being that of a future Sukkot. One more thing to consider here is that the five months mentioned in the fifth trumpet. Consider Revelation chapter 9. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. If this starts at the time of Sukkot, then these five months would end one month before Passover of unleavened bread the day that many believe will be the beginning of the 1,260 days. Do you see the parallel yet? It stops 30 days short. Could this be when the army of the Antichrist is ready and prepared to rise up against God's people? Even if there are seven months between Sukkot and the coming Passover, the end of the five months would actually give the army of the Antichrist 30 days to prepare to rise up the one month before the 1,260 days begin, which could actually make the scenario more feasible. We cover the army of the Antichrist in our teaching titled Confirming the Covenant. According to Islamic eschatology, the army of the Mahdi will rise up and usher in the rule of the Mahdi. Thus, we can see how this aligns itself to be the 30 days before the rise of the Antichrist. Thus, the mention of the 1,290 days in Daniel chapter 12. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Truly, only time will tell, but hopefully you can see the plausibility of this all lining up together as the Father moving on His appointed feast days. So, it could be plausible that the sixth seal actually happens during some future Sukkot. Again, please refer to the teaching titled The First Five Trumpets regarding the events that we believe could be explaining the happenings of the sixth seal. Another thought regarding the sixth seal. Again, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, compare the similarity of Yeshua's words here in Luke to the sixth seal. Yeshua actually references Hosea 10.8 while pointing to the future of the sixth seal compare. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Why would they say this in verse 29? Because the barren women do not have the little ones to take care of and to provide for during the hard times. The interesting thing is that those times aren't even considered hard in the eyes of Yeshua. Consider verse 31. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Meaning the time will come when everything will be really bad. What will they say then? Then he quotes Hosea in verse 30. Compare the similarity to the sixth seal here in Luke. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Again, he's quoting Hosea 10, and Hosea is actually referring to the northern kingdom, those who became scattered over the nations. Please see our teaching titled, The Lost Sheep, for further detail on this topic of the northern kingdom. Let's read Hosea chapter 10, where Yeshua is actually quoting from. Hosea chapter 10. Samaria and its king will float away like a twig on the surface of the waters. This is a clear and direct reference to the northern kingdom. Verse 8. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, Fall on us. Since the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel, and there you have remained. Did not war overtake the evildoers of Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. There is little doubt that this prophecy was regarding Israel in the current day of Hosea, as we know that Israel was taken captive to Syria soon thereafter. Truly, the curses of Deuteronomy 27 came down upon them. However, again we see that clearly Yeshua referred to these verses and that they paralleled those of the sixth seal, implying a cyclical pattern of Isaiah 46.10. It was the northern kingdom that never returned. They were dispersed among the nations because of their rebellion. Yet, now that the curses have been lifted and the law is being revealed to all His people once again, again, please see our lost sheep teaching on this topic. And now we see that His people are either accepting it or rejecting it all over again. So now, as His people reject His law again, the double sin will be punished as in the first sin. The curses of Deuteronomy 27 mirrors most of what happens in the tribulation that we find in Revelation. Again, as mentioned earlier, this is also implied at the beginning of Isaiah 24, concerning the global earthquake that is still yet to happen. Consider, the earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, the earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. This shows us The reason for the event is not the return of Yeshua, but rather for the curses to begin because of the sins of the people, that being the double sin or the second sin of the people. The double sin, the second sin, pending the context, it would be ordinal or collective. Could the tribulation be the punishment that comes on His people for rejecting His commands again? Doesn't this parallel what is written in Isaiah 46.10? I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. It's interesting that Hosea specifically mentions since the days of Gibeah. This is a reference to Judges chapter 20 and 21, and here we find in verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Why is this important? Because, again, we have no king reigning on earth at this time over Israel. Now, compare this end-time prophecy from Hosea chapter 3. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek Yahweh their God and David their king. They will come trembling to Yahweh and to his blessings in the last days. This is prophesied long after they lived without a king as in the days of Gibeah. The days of Gibeah were before a king was ever established. Thus, this is a prophecy of future days ahead before Yeshua comes and reigns as king. Again, the reference of Yeshua in Luke 23:30 clearly points us to Hosea chapter 10 and referencing the days ahead of the sixth seal. With Hosea mentioning the second sin, we can't help but ponder if the curses of Deuteronomy 27 will fall on his people a second time through the tribulation because of rejecting his law again. In conclusion, as we stated, there is really no way of confirming what day the sixth seal may happen on. That being said, we believe there could be a hint given to us in Isaiah 24. This whole chapter is regarding this global earthquake. Yet, in the middle of the chapter, between all the chaos, we find these verses. Starting with verse 14. They raise their voices, they shout for joy. From the west they acclaim Yahweh's majesty. Therefore, in the east, give glory to Yahweh. Exalt the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. This is given right in the middle of it all. It would appear that these people are declaring the praises of God, implying that they are followers of His ways. However, Isaiah makes it very clear that these are not what they appear. He declares, But I said, I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery, the treacherous betray. (laughs) The treacherous betray. Meaning what? Meaning their lives betray what their mouths declare. Today, many claim the glory of the Father, but do not walk in His ways. In fact, they mock His ways and scorn His Torah, even though they sing His praises. Though they are passionate about their worship to God in their own ways, their lives betray what they sing as they reject His eternal Torah. In fact, today parallels much of what we see in the days of Gibeah. As mentioned earlier, Judges 21, In those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. One more time, In those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. There is only one day that I can think of that those who reject his Torah actually gather together To sing his praise as they see fit. What day is that? Sunday. Could this really be a hint that Isaiah is referring to? That all the earth will quake on that day of the week that those who reject his Torah gather together to actually sing his praises as described in verses 14 through 16? (laughs) Again, there's really no way to know for sure, but it does seem to fit. Yet again, We encourage you to read all of Isaiah 24 to grab the whole picture for yourself. There is so much for us to consider as we continue to grow. May we always be open to digging and learning. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching. And remember, continue to test everything. Shalom.
1: In Genesis, we learn that the sun, moon, and stars are the perfectly ordained timepieces of our Creator. Each, of course, are designed to teach us how to biblically calculate the days, months, and years. Yet, there is so much confusion. Orthodox Jews have a version of the biblical calendar. Karyite Jews have a version of the biblical calendar. Even still, many more have their own versions of the biblical calendar. How are we to make sense of all this? There are few topics that inject more confusion into the body of the Messiah than trying to understand the calendar. How can we all be one when we are all divided? How are we to calculate His appointed times? What does the Word of God really teach? His Word teaches that two to three witnesses establish a matter. We bring you the witnesses and ask you to test everything. Watch in amazement as the Torah, the prophets, and our Messiah I'll teach in one accord, the one true biblical calendar. Time, our Creator's calendar series. For more information, visit us at testeverything.net.